0: You are listening to Rabbi Arya Woolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Thinking Talmudist podcast. All right, welcome back everybody to the Thinking Talmudist. Uh, it's so wonderful to be back here at the Torch Center, to be with my dear friends, and have delicious lunch together, and to study a fresh piece of Talmud we're in tractate pesachim 116a on the bottom and it's a new mishnah the mishnah says as follows rebagamliel haya omer rebaglim was known to say kol shlo Omar. whoever did not say elu bepesach whoever did not say these 3 things on the night of pesach and this is referring to every year at pesach at the seder he has not fulfilled his obligation of the Pesach Seder. And what is that? The These are those things that you must say at the Pesach Seder. It's interesting that my children, before they go to sleep on Pesach night, I make sure even the littlest, youngest children, I make sure they say the words Pesach, Matzah, Umar, as the Mishnah tells us here, the Pesach offering, Matzah, and Mar. Pesach. The Pesach offering is brought and eaten. Because the Omnipresent passed over the houses of our forefathers in Egypt. As it states in the verse, And you shall say, It is a Pesach feast offering for Hashem, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, and... He smote the Egyptians, and he speared our households. So the first thing we need to say is Pesach. The second thing we need to say is Matzah. Matzah is eaten. Al Shumah, because of what? Al Shum Shenigalu Avoseinu Mimitraim, Because our forefathers were redeemed from Egypt. Shenemar as it states, Vayofu Asher Hotziu Mimitraim, As it states in the verse, And they baked the dough, that they took out of Egypt into unleavened cakes, for they could not be leavened, since they were driven from Egypt and could not delay. Maror is the third thing that one must say Maror is eaten. Because the Egyptians embittered the lives of our forefathers in Egypt. As it states in the verse. And they, the Egyptians, embittered the lives of the Jews with hard work. So here we have a Mishnah which tells us that we need, according to Rabbi Gamaliel, we need to recite these three things on Pesach night. Otherwise, we do not fulfill the mitzvah of the Seder. Pesach, Matzah, Moror. These three things. The Mishnah continues, Behold, Orovador, in every single generation, of Adam Atzmo Kiilu Hu A person, every person, is obligated to look at himself as though he personally departed from Egypt. So it's not that someone else, our ancestors, our grandparents and great grandparents left Egypt. No, 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 no. We left Egypt. Me and you, each and every one of us, we left Egypt and we have to see it as as such. Shenemra, as the verse states, the verse states in Exodus, and you shall tell your sons, your children on that day, saying, it is because this, that Hashem acted on my behalf when I left Egypt. Now, some of you might think, one second, I never left Egypt. What are you talking about, Rabbi? It wasn't me. Well, it was you. That's what we need to understand. Our experience of life is limited to the physical experiences that we have. But are we a body or are we a soul? We're a soul wrapped up in a body. Our soul was there leaving Egypt just like the physical bodies that left Egypt 3,300 years ago. So there's a, a, a discussion as to what is the mitzvah that Rebbe Gamaliel is referring to. According to some, it's the mitzvah of Sipu of the recounting of the exodus from Egypt, and he teaches that in order to recount the narrative properly, one must include an explanation of these mitzvahs. This interpretation is implicit in Rambam, who states Rabbi Gamliel's halacha in Chapter Seven of Hilchos Chametz Umatzah, which discusses the mitzvah of recounting the Exodus. This is the most essential part: is to relive it, to recount the experience. Now, I think that one of the most difficult parts of the seder is exactly what the Mishnah said. Now, yeah. Eating, eating the matzah is not so difficult. Drinking the four cups of wine is not so difficult. Even the bitter herbs is not so difficult. But recounting the miracles and talking about them as if I was the one who experienced this, as if it was me, that that is something that is very, very difficult for us to, to wrap our existence around. That this was me leaving Egypt. I, again, our souls were all there and this was our experience and we have to make it real. Many of our sages would walk around the table with sacks of potatoes over their shoulder trying to relive the and recount the experience of what it meant to be slaves. Not a simple thing. Not something which we can, you know, just... Casually attain. It's something that needs to be worked on. It's something that needs to be, you need to be creative so that when we're sitting there at the Seder with our children, it's not just the same story that we repeated when we were little school children. Yeah, we said the story of Passover and we say the same thing we heard from our Zaidi at his Pesach Seder, and that's it. And that suffices. You know, the most sold Jewish book. Every year is the Passover Haggadah. You know why? Because the Haggadah is not a book that's written, uh, you know, a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, that we recited at our Seder. That's not what it is. Every year, there are new Hagadas, about a hundred new Hagadas that are published every single year by prominent rabbis, by prominent thinkers who are giving a different perspective, making the Seder realistic, making the Seder insightful. I'll just share with you, right here next to my desk, I keep my favorite Haggadah. But I don't always use this every year, but I use this with my children a lot, and this is the Youth Haggadah, the art scroll Youth Haggadah. And the reason for that, and some people are going to say, hey, really, Rabbi, give me a break. This is a, this is a children's book with illustrations. The idea is, what you want to do is make it real. Make it real. You have to use imagery. You have to use imagination. Think of what it was walking out of the gates of Egypt, having the splitting of the sea. Like, just smell the smells of the water, of the dry seabed that we were walking on. And what, what, you know, imagine you're by the ocean or you're by the the beach and it's just like you, you feel that sand in your toes right you know what I'm talking about everyone uh, get get to a place where we can feel that experience and to really bring ourselves into what it was so that it it doesn't just remain a historic event it becomes our Exodus from Egypt. And to realize what it was like with our entire family, with all of our children, everyone leaving with all of the riches of Egypt. It's an unbelievable experience. We need to try to do everything we can to make it real, to make it part of our Pesach experience. All right, the Talmud now continues. The Mishnah continues. So behold, over door, in every generation, hu A person is obligated to see at himself as though he personally departed from Egypt. Shinamar as it states, and you shall tell your children on that day, Laimor, saying, It is because of this that Hashem acted on my behalf when I left Egypt. And the commentaries here explain, in the context of the passage in which this verse appears, the phrase on that day refers to a time in in generations to come when fathers who have not personally experienced the Exodus will relate the story to their children at such a time, which is us at our Pesach Seder, at such a time when the family fulfills the mitzvahs of Pesach matzah, and mur at the Seder, fathers will nonetheless tell their children about the miracles that Hashem did on my behalf when I departed from Egypt. In some texts of the Mishnah, no verse is cited in support of this ruling. Now, we know in our favorite Thinking Talmudist series, we always point out this idea. There's no such thing as the t- Mishnah or the Talmud giving a statement without backing it up. So you'll always find that when there's a statement given about any specific matter in the Talmud, there needs to be a verse to back it up. There's no such thing as just giving a statement which is not founded, which is not backed up with a source. Okay, now the Mishnah continues, the Mishnah proceeds to teach that after one relates the story of the Exodus, explaining the mitzvahs of Petzach, Matzah, and, Marah, and repeats the aforementioned obligation to regard oneself as a departee from Egypt, he says the following, lefikach anachnu chayavim lahodos. therefore we are obligated to give thanks, Lahallel to give praise, leshabach, to laud, lefoyer, to glorify, to leromeim, to exalt, to honor to bless la to extol and to acclaim the one who performed all the miracles for our forefathers and for us and who brought us forth from slavery to freedom from sorrow to joy from mourning to festivity and from darkness to great light. And from servitude to redemption, hallelujah. So let us say before him hallelujah. And we give praise, and that's when we start singing the praise of the Almighty for the goodness that he has bestowed upon us. So it's in the Mishnah, and that's actually in our haggadah. So at the end of Magid, which is the longest section of the where we read all of the uh historical recounting of our exodus from Egypt and our slavery and the, the plagues and everything that transpired, we say this paragraph is right here in, here you go, here's the paragraph right here, from this Mishnah, okay? And then we say Psalms, we sing to Psalms thanking Hashem for the incredible miracles that He performs in our lives back then and now. The Mishnah continues. At this point in the Seder, we begin reciting Hallel, but do not complete it until after the meal. The Mishnah records a dispute regarding how much is recited prior to the meal. How much of Hallel is recited prior to the meal? Ad Until where does one recite the Hallel, Beishamei says, Ad habanim Until a joyful mother of children, which is after the first, Paragraph, the first chapter of the great prayer of Halal. Beis Hillel, Beis, Beis Hillel says, Ad until it turns the flint into a flowing fountain, which was referring to the splitting of the sea. And indeed, we follow, we we'll go with Beis Hillel, and then we continue, we add another paragraph of the Hallel till, until a hard rock into a spring of water. Okay. The mission now continues. And after relating the story of the Exodus and reciting the aforementioned portion of Hallel, one concludes with a blessing concerning redemption. Rabbi Tarfan Rabbi says, The blessing is as follows. Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who redeemed us and redeemed our forefathers from Egypt. Velo haya chosem, and one does not close with the concluding blessing at all. No blessing. Rabbi Kiva, Omar, Rabbi Kiva says, Kain Hashem The following is added to what Reptarfon's version was of the blessing. So Hashem, our God and God of our forefathers, Yagenu Habayim Bring us to other approaching festivals and pilgrimages in peace, gladdened in the rebuilding of your city, and joyful in your service, and may we eat there from the offerings of the Pesach sacrifices, and he proceeds until the concluding blessing of blessed are you, Hashem, who has redeemed Israel. So this is how we conclude the Magid, And that is the end of the Mishnah. Okay, so the Mishnah here tells us a number of things. First is the, the commentaries here bring, and that's exactly how we have it here in our Machzer. We have the actual verse, the, the actual blessing that was constructed by the Baal by the author of the Haggadah. And the blessing continues, not only that we should bring the Pesach sacrifices, but that their blood will reach the wall of your altar, for gracious acceptance. And we will thank you with a new song for our redemption and for the liberation of our souls. So what we see here is the awesome experience that the Jewish people had in Egypt is being celebrated on Pesach. Pesach this is a very interesting side note here. You know, Pesach is a very is a lot of hard work for Jewish mothers. My wife, my mother, my uh, my grandmothers of blessed memory, they spent not days, not weeks, but months preparing for Pesach in cleaning the home. making sure I'll give you an example. I gave this example yesterday. I'm going to give a different example because this actually happened. So I was we're going through and cleaning up now all the bedrooms and the playroom and all of that, and we're all spending a lot of time cleaning. And of course, there's the the homiletical understanding of that that it's not only cleaning the house our physical dwellings, but also our inner house, our inner inner workings of who we are, overcoming anger and being more patient. That's also chametz. What is chametz? Chametz is the leavened, which means the inflated. When we get angry, why are we getting angry? Are we get getting angry because we have an inflated image of ourselves. We have an arrogance, and that's what we're trying to get rid of. Before we get to our Pesach Seder, it's very difficult to go out and appreciate and acknowledge the Almighty in the way that we should when we're arrogant. We need to have a humility. We need to have a sense of humbleness in front of the Almighty. And then we can thank Him. And then we can appreciate what it is that He did with did for us and and thank Him for it. So when we talk here in our, oh, so I was telling telling you a story. So yesterday I was going through, uh, you know, the playroom and I find some, you know, the kids have friends over. My children know at least, I'm not saying that they're always following the rules, but at least they know that we don't eat out of the kitchen. You eat in the kitchen and that's it. You don't take your food with you to play games with your friends, but sometimes they have friends over and their friends do that. And there I am cleaning the playroom and cleaning it thoroughly every single toy, every single game, every single uh, board game, every single crack and crevice is being cleaned then vacuumed then washed down and rinsed down and everything is, is looking very, very clean. If you want to come visit us, this is the time where you'll enjoy a very, very clean home. And in the process of cleaning, I see this bag and it's a bag of like these nibs Familiar with these nibs or these like Twizzlers type, type candies, and I said to my son, "What's this doing here? What's this?" He says, "No, this is just some candies." I said, "Do you realize that this is this is 100% chametz? It says flour, enriched flour. Flour is chametz, not flour itself, but flour mixed with water. How do they activate the flour with water? Gotta be kidding me! I was cleaning my study." And I found some other items in my study that were not kosher for Passover. Brought them into the kitchen, into the area that's going to be sold to a non-Jew. And for those of you listening uh, who've already gotten 23 minutes into this podcast, uh, I can already tell you that in our Living Jewishly podcast, we talked about the laws of searching for chametz and selling chametz, the sale of a chametz to a non-Jew the importance of it being a, a real sale, not a joke. It's not a joke. It's a real thing. But the idea is that you have to have all of the chametz in one area so that when this non-Jew decides he's going to come visit your house and eat of this chametz, he should have access to it. He should be able to find it. All right, so now back to our Mishnah. So the Mishnah here is telling us all of the fundamental pieces of the Seder so that we can actually fulfill it. You will fulfill the Seder if you don't do the Manashtana. You will fulfill the Seder if you don't talk about the four sons. You will fulfill the Seder if you don't sing Dayenu. You will not, however, fulfill the Seder if you don't say Pesach, Matzah, Umarah. Pesach is referring to the offering, the Paschal offering. Matzah is the matzah that we eat And Maror is the bitter herbs because these represent our exodus. These represent, these are the reminders to relive and recount the experience that we had in Egypt and our redemption from it. So now the Talmud continues. The Talmud now is going to start asking questions. What's the first question the Talmud's going to ask? Where, what, what are you talking about? Where do you get this from? says the Gemara. The Gemara adds to the Mishnah's text of the Haggadah. Amar Rava. Rava said, shiyomar hotzi misham. One is required to say the verse, and he took us out from there. That's what the Talmud says. Where does that come from? That comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 29. On the night of Passover, one must recite the verse, and he took us out from there, Emphasis on us. He took us out from there. For one must act as though he himself has been taken out of Egypt. And we learn this from the verse in Deuteronomy. The Gemara discusses the obligation, Topar and Gamliel in the Mishnah, to explain the mitzvahs of Pesach, Matzah, and Marah. amarav Rava said... Matzah tzarech bia One must lift up the matzah and show it to the seder companions, to the participants, when reciting this matzah that we are eating is the matzah that we left Egypt with. Umarot bia And one must lift up the marah and show it to the assembled when explaining the mitzvah of marah. What was marah? Marah was the bitter, bitter work, the bitter, bitter toil. It was more than just that. It was the bitter lack of freedom, the bitter that we were not able to serve the Almighty. You see, we have unbelievable freedoms right now here in this country, in this great United States of America, and we have to be so grateful for the privilege that we have to be living in this great country. It is the only country in the history of the world that has not persecuted the Jews for observing their religion the only country, the British, the French, the Romans, you name the country, the Russians, they persecuted the Jews for for following their faith and for not removing God from their lives. The commitment, the dedication that people had to their Judaism is just unfathomable. It's unfathomable. When I was in in Belarus, this is about uh, 23 years ago, went to Belarus and I was asked to lead the congregation in Minsk. The chief rabbi of Minsk at the time uh, was not able to be there. His wife was, I think, due any minute, and she did not want to have a baby in Belarus. She wanted a baby to be fully formed and uh, not mutilated. God forbid by some communist doctor so she so they they left it like a couple of days before pay, before Rosh Hashanah and they I got an emergency phone call I was in Lakewood New Jersey at the time and they asked can you please go you be the chazen, you blow the shofar you lead the con- the community you do the the community meals everything for the holiday I called my father my father's like book the tickets we're going so we both went and it was, it was a magnificent experience. One of the people we met there was an individual, older man, very old man. He was like the Gabi of the shul already for years. And he said the most fascinating story. He said that his wife was totally bought into communism. And she said to him, don't you dare, when their baby was born, don't you dare give a brist to our baby. Because anyone who did so would be thrown into prison. She didn't want her husband thrown into prison. So she said, Don't do it. He said, No problem. You have my word. Not going to do the bris. So he said that on the eighth day, he told his wife, You know, you're tired. Why don't you go lay down? Go take the baby for a walk. He takes the baby for a walk. He goes to the neighboring building, goes up to the rooftop, and he turns to heaven and he says, Hashem. How can I forsake your mitzvahs? How can I forsake today being the eighth day of my baby's life that I not give him a bris? And he gave him a bris there on the rooftop of the building. He says, the only one who can see him was the Almighty. And of course, when he comes home, his wife's like, what's this? And he says, I have no idea. All I did was take the baby for a walk. Can you imagine... How many of us would have the strength to do that, to be so committed, so dedicated, to fight for the freedom to serve Hashem? This is something that the people in Egypt didn't have. They were slaves, like we learn in Parshas Meshbatim, in, middle of Ex, in middle of the middle of the book of Exodus, that if a slave says, I want to stay with my master, we, we drill a hole in his ear at the doorpost, by the mezuzah. Why? That same ear heard that we should be servants to God, slaves to God, now wants to be a slave to another master? You didn't listen well enough. We're going to drill a hole in your ear. The Jewish people wanted to be servants of the Almighty, and they couldn't. They were servants to the Egyptians. The Egyptians were beating us. We had no time to think. Like the Ramchal teaches us in Mishadat Sharim. is that being busy is like the Pharaoh. Being too busy. Because when you're too busy, you don't have time to think. The Ramchal tells us that was Pharaoh's plan. Pharaoh's plan was he knew the Jews, Jewish people were smart. The Jewish people were cunning. The Jewish people were strategizing, how do we get out of Egypt? When Pharaoh realized this, he says there's only one way we can stop the Jews. And that is if we keep them so busy they don't have time to think. So perhaps that's also part of our exodus. Perhaps that's part of our Passover is releasing ourselves from being in bondage of busyness. I'm not talking about business, career, all of these hobbies that people have. It's great, great for people to have an outlet. It's great for people to have a livelihood. But not to be totally consumed where we cannot serve Hashem properly. Because that's, that's exactly what Egypt was. Mitzrayim comes from the word meitzar, which means to be locked up, to be, to be atzur, which is someone who's in prison. We're locked up, we're imprisoned. Yes, Shabbos, like you mentioned. Shabbos is exactly that. It's getting us out of that mindset of slavery. We're not slaves to anything except for the Almighty. Hashem, we're here to serve you. That's it. And not allowing us to get into the routine of thinking. That's why Shabbos is every seven days. It's not every 14 days. It's not every 21 days or 28 days. No, 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 no. It's every single week again and again and again to remind us and to break that routine where we might come to think that we're here to serve ourselves, to serve our own interests, instead of serving Hashem. And this is the magic of Shabbos. Shabbos brings us, grounds us. It brings us back to that reality we need, we need to remember and recognize that it's all a gift from Hashem. It's all about living in the world where we have clarity. Now, Pesach is a super booster for that. It's the Shabbos of all Shabbos. So now the Talmud continues, and the Talmud says, Omarava, Rava says, morot basar ain lag bia. but one need not lift the meat, when explaining the mitzvah of Pesach. And not only is he not required to raise the meat, but by doing so, he would give the appearance of eating consecrated meat that was slaughtered outside of the temple. So we don't lift up the shank bone. Not only is one not required to lift up the meat when explaining the mitzvah of Pesach, but doing so actually makes matters worse for it suggests that the animal from which the meat came was consecrated while alive as a Pesach offering. And therefore, we have to be very careful. The matzo we raise up, the morrow we raise up, the shank bone we leave right there, we don't raise it up. The Gemara segues into a discussion of whether a blind person is obligated to recount the story of Exodus. Omar Rav Acha Bar Yaakov. Yaakov said, "Suma poter A blind person is exempt from reciting the Haggadah. Ha-cha. It is written here regarding the mitzvah of recounting the Exodus, Ba'avur zeh. And you shall tell your son on that day, saying, It is because of this, of Zeh. And it is written there in the passage of the rebellious son, Benenu Zeh, this son of ours is wayward and rebellious, just as there the term of zeh implies the exclusion of a blind son, of a blind parent, Afkan here too, regarding the mitzvah, relating the Exodus, the term this, zeh, implies the exclusion of those who are blind. The Gemara challenges this, and the Gemara asks, ain't he, is it so that blind people are exempt from recounting the Exodus? Well, Omar ma- 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 Raymar, but Maremar has said, de I once asked the rabbis of Rabbi Yosef's academy, "Manda Amar to be- Yosef? who was the one that recited the Haggadah in Rabbi Yosef's house? Amru Rav Yosef. And they they replied, Rav Yosef was the one. And he asked, who was the one who recited the Hagara in Rav Sheshis's home? Omar Amru Rav Sheshis. They said Rav Sheshis was. Now, if a blind person is exempt from the mitzvah of recounting the Exodus, how did the disciples fulfill this obligation by listening to the Haggadah recitals from Yosef and Rav Sheshis, who were both blind? The Gemara answers, Kasavri Rabbanon, the rabbis, told that matzah bisman hazeh, the Rabbonon. Nowadays, matzah, and therefore the recounting of the Exodus, is only a rabbinic obligation. For the reason Rav Sheishis and Rav Yosef could enable others to discharge their Haggadah obligations, however, because of their blindness, Rav Yosef and Rav Sheishis were not themselves biblically obligated to recite the Haggadah. The Gemara counters, Michal der Acha, Bar Savar Matzah, Zedel It follows by implication that Acha Bar Yaakov holds that Matzah nowadays is a biblical obligation. Now, obviously, we know this is a discussion in the Talmud. And if you just listen to part of this podcast or video recording, you'll think that, uh oh, it's not a biblical obligation. It is a biblical obligation. This is a discussion that the Talmud is having. The Gemara answers. Kasavri ta'kun rabbonon ta'kun. Rav Acha holds that any law that the rabbis enacted, they enacted the manner of biblical law, in the manner of biblical law. On the assumption that Rav Sheshes and Rav Yosef agree that a blind person is biblically exempt. From reciting the Haggadah, the Gemara asks, Yosef Nami." But according to Rabbi and Rabbi Yosef as well, called takon takon." It is certain that any law that the rabbis enacted, they enacted in the manner of biblical law. It means the rabbis can't just make up laws. We've said this a thousand times. The rabbis cannot and do not make up laws. What do the rabbis do? the rabbis take the biblical teachings and apply them to practical law. To answer the challenge, the Gemara reenacts, uh, sorry, recants its assumption, holding now that in the view of Rav Sheshit and Rav Yossi, a blind person is not biblically exempt from reciting the Haggadah. And as for Rav Acha's recitation of the passage of the rebellious son, that the word "this" ze excludes the blind. The Gemara counters as follows: Hachi Now, is the analogy correct? Can the word "this," written vis-a-vis recounting the Exodus, be compared to the word "this," written vis-a-vis the rebellious son? Bishleimah it It is understandable that there, in the latter passage, we expound to exclude the blind. lele b'neinu who. For since the Torah could have written he, meaning who, this person is our son, viksiv binaynu zeh, but instead the Torah wrote this our son, this is our son, shmamina sumin huda asa. We derive therefore that it is for this exclusion, it is for the exclusion of the blind that the word this comes to teach us. Aval but over here, regarding this experience of Egypt, if you would not write the ze, what would, what would you write? Indeed, there is no alternative to this formulation. Thus, because of this comes not to exclude the blind, rather, what is it saying, because of this, it's referring to the matzah and murr that this verse is referring to. So it's not referring to the individual, it's referring to the matzah and murr that a person is pointing out, because of this, we left Egypt. So just to put it together here, the Torah obligates us to commemorate the exodus from Egypt by talking out, the story of our exodus not only to our children but to ourselves if a person is living alone in their own home if they're having a seder alone they have to say it out out loud as if there's someone else sitting there and they're talking it out that's the obligation the obligation is for a person to talk out the story of the exodus part of that story is pointing at the matzah pointing it out holding it up and saying here this matzah is the matzah we took out of Egypt, not this physical one, but this concept, this idea, this performance of the mitzvah. This mar, this bitterness is what we experienced. Because what does the matzah represent? The matzah represents that the Jews hastened to leave. They didn't have time to waste. They didn't have time, they didn't have time to think. God says, now, boom, out, leave Egypt. This matzah represents that. The maror represents the bitterness that we experienced in our slavery. That's what it re- represents. And the shank bone represents the offerings that we brought there as well. So yeah, this is all biblical. This is a biblical commandment for us to recount this, to tell it to our children, to all of those assembled around our Pesach Seder, and to hopefully inspire them to ask questions, to talk about it. Because the more we talk about it, the more you talk about the exodus from Egypt, the more praiseworthy you you become, the more lucky you are in the feeling of appreciation and gratitude to the Almighty for the miracles that He's done for us. You suddenly realize... That, wow, Hashem does so much for us. And if a person does not spend the time giving gratitude and giving the appreciation that is required for anything in life, not only for the exodus from Egypt. By the way, this is a lesson for everything. You want to be happy in your marriage, acknowledge and appreciate your spouse. And the more you appreciate, the more you will love. The more you take for granted, the more the love comes something which is not special anymore. And this is the amazing gift we have in the Pesach Seder. We have the gift of being able to go stop what we're doing and appreciate and talk out in as many details as possible the gift of our exodus. That is the greatness of the Pesach Seder, to stop what we're doing, And realize how many miracles we have, not only on Pesach at the Seder, not only our exodus from Egypt, but how many miracles we experience every single day. And we're able to recount them. And this is just a little glimpse. Look at that great experience that we had in the exodus from Egypt and the splitting of the sea and our survival for 40 years in the desert without any food, without any vegetation. And look, how that reflects to our life every single day. Where we have our own exodus every single day, we have challenges, we have things that come our way that are difficult, and Hashem guides us through it. And we become stronger and we become become better. That is our story. The story of the Jewish people is that we're never on a high for too long. We're down in the dumps, and we get brought back up to the top of Mount Sinai. And we're back in the dumps, and we get brought back up to the land of Israel. And this constant cycle of good and challenge is an amazing gift that Hashem is giving us so that we can always connect to Him on the deepest and highest level possible. And that's what we're asking from the Almighty. We're asking, we're saying, Hashem, please give us the ability to live with that reality. Give us the ability to live with that appreciation. Give us the ability to recognize every single day that you are our king. You are our master. You are the one we're serving and that we're not serving anyone else. We're not serving our jobs and our career and our money and our materialism and our fashion and whatever it is that we're obsessed with. That's not what we're here to serve. We're here to serve you, Hashem. Hopefully, we'll all merit that this Pesach won't be in our own homes. This Pesach will be at the Temple Mount. Yeah, it's just a week and a half away. It'll be in the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Get your bags ready. United Airlines, here we come. We fly direct from Houston to Jerusalem in our rebuilt temple. And we'll be able to actually bring the Paschal offerings. We'll be be able to sprinkle that blood on on the altar. And we'll be able to live a life that is filled with a closeness, with a relationship with Hashem. And we won't have any hesitations. We won't be like the slaves who are so busy they don't have time to think. But rather, we'll have the presence of mind. And this presence of mind comes from spending the time appreciating what it is that we have. The more we appreciate the more real the relationship becomes. Hashem should bless us that this should be a Pesach back in Jerusalem with a rebuilt temple speedily in our days. Amen.